0: We, um, we talked last week about um, Jonah himself, and we only looked at three verses um, uh, in which we kind of learned about the call that God put on this prophet um, to go to the enemy of his people, the Ninevites, uh, a horrifying, brutal, terrible group, and to bring the, uh, the message of God's hope and possibly forgiveness for these people we saw that Jonah rejected this call, that he fled and that he ran from God. And we talked about what I think most often think of when we think about the book of Jonah, if you're familiar with it at all, which is a person who has run from God, what it looks like to run from God, and the ways that we do that, um, maybe not in such a dramatic way as Jonah, but still very much tend to do that ourselves. This morning, we're gonna pick up in verse four of the first chapter of Jonah, And I'm going to read Jonah 1, um, verses 4 through 16, and, um, and then we're going to spend our time looking at what happens after Jonah flees from the call that God's put on his life. And I'll put it up on the, we'll put it up on the screen here. We'll kind of go through it for you. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 16, says this. You sleeper, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So... Jonah fled the Lord by attempting to get on a boat and sail in the opposite direction from where God called him to go. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is this far away over the land, and he instead decided to go the opposite direction over the sea, thinking, you know, God can't get me there, right? Getting away from the people that he was a part of, the people of God, doing that so that he could hopefully be in a place where he wouldn't have to hear from God, have to encounter God. Because what we know is that um, if we want to get some distance from the voice of God, from, from thoughts of God, that the first thing that we do is we get some distance from the community of people that bring us to God oftentimes, right? Uh, we avoid that group. We avoid those voices. Or maybe we stay in that group physically. But really, uh, we detach from it in terms of like our hearts or our minds, willing to be open and vulnerable to that group in such a way that God can actually still speak into what's going on. That's a common thing that we do. Jonah attempts to do this physically, by getting on a boat, going in the water as far away as he can. What we read about is that God comes after him. He causes this great tempest, this great storm to come up. And so the first thing that we see here is... Really, the stars of this part of the story are the sailors. The, the the mariners, the guys who are not uh, people who believe in Yahweh, who worship this God at all, they worship separate gods, all of them, you can tell, because they're all calling out to their own individual gods when the storm comes up. But the storm comes up, God brings up a storm, and it's so obvious and so clear to these people who are mariners, they know what a natural storm looks like, okay? They're sailors, they know what storms look like, they know how they pick up, they know how they function, and there's something about the Nature of this storm that they immediately are like this is not a regular storm this is divine in origin and because it's divine in origin we are gonna waste no time at all we're gonna try to figure out how to survive this thing by calling out to any God that we can think of calling out to him and asking him to uh, stop this thing from happening we we, we read here and in, in the first verses After the Lord has hurled this great wind upon the sea, and this mighty tempest has come up, the mariners are afraid, and each cries out to his God. So the first thing they do is they cry out to all of their individual gods, saying, stop this storm, show us what we've done wrong, whatever's happening, we need to take care of it, because this storm is going to destroy our ship, and it's going to kill us all. They get no answer. The storm doesn't change. So then they go on to the next step. This is how we know how serious this storm is. They immediately start throwing cargo overboard. Now, uh, these guys are in the business of hauling cargo. So when you start throwing cargo overboard, you're kind of at the last resort. So we get to the last resort pretty much right away in this part of the story. They're throwing all the crates, all the cargo, everything overboard to try to lighten the load of the ship so that hopefully it won't sink. And even that, in their desperation, will do nothing for them. After they've thrown everything over, they go and they find Jonah, who's asleep in the hull of the ship. They probably came across him when they were going down to get all the cargo to throw out of the ship. And uh, they didn't throw all the cargo out, because he's cargo. And they say, hey, you, why don't you talk to your God? Why don't you uh, figure out if it has to do with your God? And classic Jonah, he's of no help at all. He just kind of lays there, right? He's in his deep sleep we read about. Jonah doesn't seem to do anything useful, so then they cast lots. They write names on little pieces of sticks, and they, uh, they use that as a way of kind of throwing it down as a way of saying, like, well, the gods show us whose fault it is. And they actually, this points them right back to Jonah, this guy sleeping in the hole of their ship. They go back to him. They say, all right, What's the deal with you? How are you causing this? What's going on with you? Tell us about you. Tell us where you're from. Tell us why this is happening to us. He comes clean. He tells them his story, who he worships, who he is, what's going on. If you can't tell at this point, Jonah's choice to want to run away from God hasn't really panned out very well. Now, uh, this is typically what happens when we choose to run away from God, is we um, are presented with something that God wants for us, and we look at it, and we evaluate it, and we go, that's either going to cost me too much, or that's going to lead to something too difficult. It's going to go in the opposite direction from the way I want my life to go in some way, and so I'm going to avoid what God's calling me to do. Why? Because I think it's going to make my life too hard. So the reason that we avoid what God's calling us to do, where he's leading us, is because we think it will actually be easier to avoid it. It's the path of least resistance. So Jonah believes that even if he has to get in a ship and sail away from where he's ever lived and not come back, that that's easier and better than the thing God's telling him to do. Well, hopefully, it works out that way, because then it might be easier. But as it turns out, Jonah's life isn't getting any easier. This isn't going away. It's only getting harder. This is what happens when we run away from God. When we, when we go in the opposite direction from where God leads us, things end up getting harder. They don't get easier. We run from God because we think it's going to make things easier. And what we're surprised to find, if we're really paying attention to the circumstances of our lives, is that things start to get harder, not easier. Uh, maybe we didn't say yes to God because we thought it would uh, be too stressful for us, too overwhelming for us. And so we say no to God, and we go in the other direction, expecting that our life is now going to become relaxed. We're now going to be more, uh, more uh, available uh, for the things that matter to us. But what we find is that we don't get more relaxed, and we aren't more available to the things that matter to us. We find that the stress is still there. We find that the weight is still there. We may uh, go in the other direction from God because we think it's going to cost us too much financially. It may cost our family too much. It may cost us to have to simply let go of something that we have held on to so tightly that we cannot possibly imagine living without it. We believe that our life will be easier if we can just hang on to this thing. But what happens is things don't get easier. We keep waiting for it to happen. We keep holding out for it to happen, and they don't get easier. So then we find ourselves in the situation Jonah's in, where we've we've gone the other direction and things aren't getting easier. This is no good. But this is what happens when we choose to run from God, in whatever form that we do that. Jonah has run from God, and um, they have kind of, uh, we'll just say this, we'll just jump all the way to the end of our passage, and we'll just look at how it ends for Jonah. How about that? So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So there you go. Life is getting harder for Jonah. It's not getting easier, right? Like, if only you could, like, fast forward to that and show it to him when he's boarding the ship and buying his ticket. Hey, uh, I'm just going to show you how this ends. Oh, they hurled him into the sea. They picked him up and hurled him into the sea. Okay, maybe this isn't going to go so well, right? If only we had the ability to know that where this is going to lead will actually be worse than where we started. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that because in the moment, nothing seems harder than what God's calling us to do, what he's leading us to do. Nothing seems like it's gonna cost us more. Jonah instead is experiencing something that we know to be totally true, which is that this is what happens when we run from God. Things fall apart. Things get harder, not easier. It costs us more than we ever think it's going to takes us further than we ever think it's going to, and not in the way that we want it to. But when we talk about running from God and the story of Jonah, one of the things that we begin to see in this passage is that he isn't just running from God and what he called him to do. He's actually sinning in what he's doing that 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 it's not just a story about someone who's decided to go a different direction or turn down the call this is someone who is actually sinning against god they're doing something that is that is opposite of god's desires they're doing something that is sinful this isn't just about running it's about sin We know what Jonah's sin is even because of the way that he talks about himself when these guys um, come and ask him who he is. When they say to him, you know, who are you? What is your occupation? Where are you from? Who do you worship? Tell us all the dirt on you. We need to know the important stuff so we can figure out why this is happening. He says this. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So he's he's explaining, here's who I am. Here is me, in a nutshell. I mean, if someone were to ask each and every one of us, who are you? And you were to answer for them, here's me, right? Right? What would be the order of things? What would be the most important thing about who I am? And what would be the things on the bottom of that ladder of who I am? The first thing that he says about himself is not that I'm a prophet. It's not even, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. And you know he said this last part because he's like, yikes, I just learned this is true, right? Who apparently uh, made the sea and the dry land, right? I thought I could get away, he was the God of like dry land. He was the desert God. I always lived in the desert with him. I thought maybe if I go to the sea, you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't quite so powerful out there in the sea. Turns out guys, I can tell you the God that I worship, he actually is kind of covers both territories, right? That's why we're dealing with this. He's not just the God of the Israelites and the Hebrews that live in the desert in that sense. He's also the God out here. This is something that Jesus showed us in his ministry again and again, he shows his disciples. That he has power over nature, that God has power over nature. But of all the things that Jonah could say about himself, the first thing that he says is not that I fear God, it is not that I'm a prophet, which is the first thing they ask him, What's your occupation? Who do you fear? All these things. The first one he answers is the people that he comes from. I am a Hebrew. This is the sin of Jonah. The sin of Jonah is that his identity, and this is why we get this account in Scripture and what it's telling us, is that, that, of course, that there would be points in which God's people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, would be so tempted to make being a Hebrew, being one of the Israelites, more important than any other part of themselves, even being God's people. Their culture, their, their traditions, their laws... All of the things that make them distinct become more of who they are than the God that they worship himself. Jonah is a patriot before he is a follower of God. This is why we can see his sin even in just the way that he describes himself to them. Often the rebellion and the distance from God that we actually experience in life, it's the result of our placing something else as a part of that list, who I am, and placing it over who God tells us to be. I am an American. I am a Republican. I am a Democrat. I am a husband. I am a father or a wife and a mother. I am this Enneagram over that Enneagram. I have this job this is my reason for being here. This is the thing that is the first thing you would think about me. This is the thing that I use to determine what I'm gonna do in life, what my priorities are gonna be. Whatever it is, if the first thing on that list is not, I fear the Lord. Then there's something wrong in that balance and that something wrong is called sin. And what Jonah's experiencing is his unwillingness to go to these people because the reason that he wouldn't go isn't just because he was afraid. We read all this horrible stuff last week that Jonah was terrified of, that these people could and probably he thought would do to him. But that wasn't the biggest reason he didn't go. The biggest reason we'll see later as he talks a lot more and complains a lot more to God is that he doesn't want to bring God's forgiveness to a people that are not Hebrews, people that are the enemies of the Hebrews. His pride in his country, his pride in being that cultural type of person, that is so important to him that he cannot do what God's calling him to do and stay faithful to that thing the way he wants to be. This is why when, when Jesus talks about dying to yourself, when he says we're supposed to die to ourselves in order to follow him, Most people that I talk to want to know what God wants for their lives. Most people I talk to want to know where he's leading them, or or, or would really like to know and have that kind of clarity. But what happens when he does that, and it means the thing you put at the top of your list is going to be affected, we then don't hear God when he tells us. We then don't see where he's leading us. We then don't even begin or continue asking that question because we start to kind of sense that there's something leading us in the other direction. Apart from the fact that when we wander and we leave God, that um, things are going to get harder, not easier, what we also see happening here has to do with sin and suffering because there is a relationship between suffering and between sin. Now, I want to be super clear about this because what the Bible does not teach is that all suffering that you experience is because you're sinning. In fact, the book of Job tells us in the Old Testament about a righteous man who experiences tremendous suffering and it's not because he was sinful. But what Scripture also teaches us is this, that sin will always lead to suffering. And this is the other thing that Jonah, unfortunately, is having to find out right now. That his putting this part of his life over any other part, his identity being in this, and it leading him to some terrible behavior. Jonah is being a horrible person in this story. He's not living like a prophet. He's not living like a Hebrew. He's not living like somebody who fears the Lord of the water and of the land. No, he is living like someone who has sinned and is now suffering as a result of it. Suffering doesn't always uh, come as the result of sin in our lives. But sin that we commit will always lead to some form of suffering. It will lead to suffering in my life. It will lead to suffering in other people's lives. Or it will lead to suffering in the community that I'm a part of, in the world that I live in. But there will be some consequence for the sin that I commit. And that's something that we see here. When a wrong is committed, there's either hurt that is felt or there is damage that is done. So what happens with that hurt? What happens with that damage? That is the suffering that we begin to experience. Sin hurts people and relationships It absolutely seeks to destroy those things if it's committed enough and if it grows enough. Sin causes things that are intact to break down. It causes things that are supposed to work a certain way to backfire and stop working that way. Even um, when sin seems like a victimless crime, Right? Even when we do something that we know is not good, is not God's will, and we're like, who is this really hurting? Right? What we know is true is that there is consequence there. Even when we sin and we don't think it hurts anybody else, we carry that in us. And there is something scripture tells us that it does inside of us, if we don't deal with it, is that it grows, There's like this darkness that grows, this disease, this sickness that grows, and wants to kind of consume more and more if it can. And until we deal with it somehow, it's going to keep growing and keep leading to more sin. Running from God is rebellion. What is rebellion going to do but lead to breakdown of things? So who's going to make it right? Who's gonna fix the thing that's broken? Who's gonna pay the penalty for the thing that's happened? Even if I choose to forgive someone when they sin against me, I have to take that on now. I still have to suffer. I have to choose to ignore it from that point on or something, but something has to be done about it. And I'm taking it on or you're taking it on or no one's taking it on. The things that are broken need to get fixed. The things that are hurting need to be healed. And sin always leads to suffering. Even though I think we would so like to believe that it's this sort of temporary unpleasantness that just kind of comes and goes away. That no one has to pay for the consequence of it. No one has to do anything to deal with it. Even the things that are internal to us can cause the greatest amount of suffering. Anger. Anger can grow and can fester and darken a heart. It can continue to sort of grow inside of us and then manifest itself in other ways. Things like pride, things like greed, things like lust. These things are like rescuing a wild animal and then just locking it up in your house and going to work for the day and being like, it'll be fine. And then coming home and being like, what happened here? That's what happens when we allow something like anger or greed or lust or pride to kind of just live inside of our hearts. We kind of lock up the doors and we go, it'll be fine, nothing really terrible is happening. There is suffering, there is damage that happens. And what we see about suffering is that it is actually also a way that God uses to get our attention. That suffering is actually something that God uses to reach us because he is a God who wants to continue reaching out to us. And you go, isn't that cruel? How cruel is that, that that a God who loves us would want to do things like what's happening in this account to Jonah and these sailors? If you want to look at the damage being caused, I would say look at the damage being caused in this account. Look at the ship that's about to break apart. Look at the cargo that's been thrown overboard. Look at the, uh, the way these men are having to row for their lives and the terror they're feeling. We're watching a physical manifestation of something that happens every time we choose something other than God's will, but we're seeing it played out in a more vivid way. But make no mistake, the same amount of damage happens when we sin and when we run from God. We don't see it so dramatically like we do in this story, but we see it in this story, and it's a good thing that we do because when we see it, we recognize just how serious this thing really is. And look at who Jonah is becoming. Look at how he is behaving. Look at how this prophet is being. Clearly, the mariners, the sailors, are the better guys in this story. They identify and recognize his God. They think to pray to the gods rather than trying to do something else. Even when he says to them, throw me overboard, they're like, I don't think we're gonna start there because uh, if your God is the one causing this, I think we just wanna make sure that we don't throw you overboard because that could make things worse. Maybe let's just row as fast as we can back to shore because there's obviously nothing else that we can do to, to save ourselves. Why would God use something like suffering or pain to actually reach out to the people who are the very ones causing the sin, the very ones running and rebelling from him? Because leaving us alone in it is even worse. Because leaving us in isolation with our sin is even worse. Scripture tells us that God loves us so much that he will actually reach out to us in pain and reach out to us in suffering at times because he would rather do that than leave us alone in those things to be distant from him, to to let the sin continue growing. And why does he come back to us in that way? Why does he love us that way? Because he is absolutely relentless. We read um, in verse 12... He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah has recognized, it's because I've run from God, it's because I've sinned, that these things are happening. And at this point, he's hopeless. He's so hopeless that he's saying, throw me in To the sea. He's run from God, and God has every right and every reason to just leave him where he is by himself, but God doesn't do that. God, because he is relentless in his love for us, will not leave us in that place. The good news is that when we run from God, because he loves us, he will come after us. This is the good news of what we read here today. That when we run from God, time and again, and when, when we choose to go the other way, he comes after us. He's relentless in coming after us, in fact. Why? Because he loves us, that's why. That's the reason why, is because he loves us. Jonah is totally hopeless. He's bought his ticket, he's gone to the bowels of the ship, and he's fallen asleep. The language used for the sleep that he's in, this deep sleep, this is the sleep of death. This is depression sleep. If you've ever had depression, you know this sleep. If you've ever lived with someone who has depression, you know this sleep. If you've ever seen a commercial for depression medication, you know this sleep. Half of the footage is a person looking out a window, looking sad, and the other half is a person in bed sleeping because there's something that happens when we feel this kind of despair, that we crawl into bed, we turn off the lights, and we go, I don't want to live life right now. We're not saying I don't want to live life ever again. We're saying I don't want to live life right now. I want it all to go away. Scripture says this is the sleep that he was sleeping. In his hopelessness and his despair, Jonah had given up. He was not fighting anymore. He was not wanting to try anymore. But ours is a God who comes in the midst of that and says, I love you enough that I'm going to come to you, even if it means there's going to be pain involved and there's going to be some suffering that you don't think you can handle. Because if that gets your attention, then that's what I'm going to use because of how much I love you. So when the men ask him... Um, What to do so the sea won't die down? He says, throw me overboard, I'm done. And they eventually do it. The intent of this storm is really clear. Jonah's fleeing across the sea to get as far away from God and Nineveh Nineveh as he can. God is not intending to let him do that. God is like, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you get away. God says, I'm going to intercede here. And I'm going to stop this thing in its tracks because I love you. We read again and again and again about this God of relentless love in Scripture who comes to his people, who comes to even a single person. Not because he needs what we have, not because he needs to collect some debt and he's just going around doing that, but because he loves us and we're his children. We read about the the lost sheep that Jesus talks about the shepherd leaving the flock to go and seek. He says the shepherd leaves the flock and goes to that one lost sheep to pursue it, to bring it back into the fold. We read about the the prodigal sons, the two sons living with their father. The first son runs from God because he just doesn't want to do things his way anymore. He runs from the father, sorry, because he just doesn't want to do things his way anymore. He says, I want my freedom. It seems unfair to me that you would just keep me tethered to you with all of these decisions. Being a part of a household will not bring me joy. It's just oppressive. It's just rules, rules, rules. And so he leaves. He experiences the consequences of his sin. And those consequences draw him back. And what does the good father do? But he runs out to meet him. He runs out to him. And then when the older son complains to him and says, Are you kidding me? I never left. His father's like, You were never here. You were so focused on rules that you were never here being my son. And he goes to that son and says to him, I don't want that kind of a relationship with you. I want this kind. He comes to that son. Even in his complaint, even in his pride, even in his self-pity. The Israelites build an idol, and God still chooses to bring them into the promised land. Moses goes into the wilderness to get away from his people and the Egyptians, and God brings him back to his people and the Egyptians. God goes after Paul on the road to Damascus. The disciples scatter when Jesus is arrested, and he comes back to them with love. David sins with Bathsheba, and he was just never going to see, obviously, what he was doing wrong. I mean, her husband dies because of it, and he's like, I'm totally good with the way things are going right now. God sends the prophet Nathan to open up his eyes and show him what he's doing, because God loves him, and he comes after us. Some of you have been caught in the act and as painful and as hard as that was, as infuriating and as humiliating as it was, you can now see that that is what saved you. That whatever means God used to chase you down, or is using to chase you down, he does it because he loves you and he's relentless like that. And the good news of the gospel goes even beyond this. You see, we read, um, you know I'm going to do it every time, we read in Romans chapter 5, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he came for us and he did something for us even though we did not deserve it. There is no way to hammer this into our brains enough that we fully really understand it. That we really see how much it applies to us. The good news is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good and had taken care of everything, he died for us. He went after the people who were sinful. He went after us and made a way for us. You see, it goes beyond just God seeking us and bringing us back because if God brings us back, guess what? There's sin in us. If God seeks us, guess what? There was that thing that created the distance to begin with. What about that? What about the fact that we're still broken and we still have that heart and that tendency? The good news is not just that when we run from God, he comes after us, but that when we sin, that because he loves us, he also makes us whole again. That God does the work so that we can be whole again, and that's incredibly good news. Romans tells us the good news that Christ died for us and that because of that, while we were still sinners, that we can be made whole again without becoming perfect, without becoming ripe, without cleaning up our lives or whatever else we think we need to do. The good news of this account of Jonah's life is that it paints for us a vivid picture of what it looks like when someone runs from God and he chases him down. Life gets harder instead of easier. And when someone sins, and that sin leads to suffering, and that suffering makes them into a version of themselves that is just ugly, it's just gross. That's what we see in Jonah. But the good news is that it doesn't end there, that it ends with a God who um, chases after us relentlessly, and a God who then comes to us and says that because I love you, I have a way to make you whole again. If there's anything that we're to do when we encounter this part of Jonah, it is to stop and ask the question of repentance. It's to stop and ask the question, God, um, as cheesy as this may sound, looking at an account like this, am I running from you? Like, I know you're like, I'm in the room right now. This makes no sense, right? We're the ones that aren't running. Or here, right now. But God, am I like, am I like avoiding who you're calling me to be, what you're calling me to do? Am I doing that because I'm afraid of how hard it's going to make my life? Am I unwilling to let go because I'm afraid of what it's going to cost me and I just want things to be easier? And the other thing to ask is like, God, is there sin that is causing? Suffering that is causing pain, that is causing destruction. And to do the thing that scripture tells us to do when we encounter sin, which is to simply come before him and repent. The good news is, the reason that we can repent is because we know that there is forgiveness. You know, we take um, communion this morning. And we take communion as an act of worship, as a response to what Jesus has done. We do it because the good news is that we come before our Father, and that when we bring Him who we are, we confess things to Him, and we say, God, I need you to make me whole. That He does. He does that not because of how hard we've worked. He does that not because of how long we've been around church. He does that not because of how much we know. He does that because of what Jesus did. But our job, our part, is to come to Him and to repent. And so this morning, as we do this, as we spend this time in response, as we worship, as we, um, as we take communion together, I want to encourage you to use this time and to take as long as you need to, to just come before the Lord and to say, Father, search me and know me. Would you search my heart, God? God, if there are things that are within me that... Are sinful, if there are things that are within me that I'm holding back from you, if there are things about me that I'm holding up as more important, then I fear God. God, would you show those things to me? And would you give me the courage to repent of those things? And would you remind me that as I repent to you, that you make me whole, that you restore me because of how much you love me? Romans tells us it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I know we read an account like this and go, he doesn't sound that kind. There's nothing more kind than God doing whatever he has to do to bring you and me back to him. And even when we think we're right in front of him, there's nothing more loving that God can do than everything he has to do to make us repent so that the sin and the death that exists can be released, can be dealt with, that we can experience healing, that we can be made whole because that's what God wants for us. Let's pray.